of dreams and aspirations. Well, hello there, my lovelies. I wonder if this book has touched the strings of your heart like it did to me. Let's begin with the last chapter, book 5 of With Love from the Hills by Ruskin Bond. Dreams Dreams have always played an important part in my life and sometimes I wonder if we live two parallel lives, one based on the everyday reality of a physical existence and the other a dream world which has its own reality, elusive, tantalizing and yet in its own way real. I don't think scientists have yet got around to explaining our dreams or they haven't really bothered being too busy with the externals of living. Obviously, a part of the brain remains active when we are asleep, but it isn't just a matter of random images projected by the subconscious mind. There is often a logical progression of events leading on to something of significance, a sequence that is often cut off before we arrive at the conclusion of the journey. Do dreams foretell the future? I don't think so. I don't have prophetic dreams, but sometimes they reflect or illustrate my own preoccupations, needs, desires, omissions, insecurities. As a boy, I would sometimes record my dreams, and these are the ones I remembered best. Dreams of adventures, adventures that I couldn't possibly experience in my normal life such as playing games with fairies or escaping from boarding school in a balloon or living amongst chimpanzees like Tarzan or such a horrible dream, having a birthday party with nothing for the guests to eat. Occasionally, there were nightmares and in these, of course, I managed to wake up before being seized by some unidentifiable monster. But dreams... Some dreams are so pleasant that we would like them to continue. Something wakes us up and although we might succeed in falling asleep again, that lovely dream remains elusive, lost forever, like a brief moment in which some former existence is recalled. But our dreams are not memories of a former life. They are linked in some indefinable way to this life and influenced by books or pictures or people or current events. Sometimes in my dreams, I have had a companion, a younger person, leading me by the hand, accompanying me through a situation of some danger or risk. The mount That mountain road, that shortcut through the pines, the winding path down to the valley, the trail through the forest, they recur again and again, sometimes, I'm full of confidence and I leap across wild chasms and down stumbling mountain slopes and I reach my destination with no problem at all. At other times, I lose my way, end up in mysterious, unfamiliar surroundings, helpless until a small boy takes me by the hand and leads me to safety. Yes, there is always someone there to take me by the hand and walk beside me. Not so in real life. I have good people to take care of me now, but for many years I was on my own, without the backing of friends and family. 
I will walk beside you through the world today. The perfect companion, man, woman, boy, dog, or parrot, it's hard to find. But once found, hold on to that person with hands of steel. Solitude may sometimes be necessary to the artist, but loneliness can be crippling. And so to dreams. Naturally, the ones I remember best are those recurring dreams, which usually signify insecurity of some kind or the other. Another insecurity having been a part of my waking life from boyhood to this day. In one of these dreams, I am on my own in a forest bungalow, relaxing on my armchair on the veranda, when I see a massive tiger approaching the bungalow. I run indoors and bolt the front door. A window is open. From it, I see the tiger again, much nearer now. I close the window. Remember, the back door is open. Run to the back of the house and close it. Another window has to be shut. The bungalow is full of doors and windows, and the tiger is circling the house, coming closer all the time. Thump, thump, thump. The tiger is thrusting its weight against the flimsy front door. A crash, and the tiger is framed in the doorway. And I wake up. Well, we always wake up just in time, don't we? I have yet to dream of being clawed up by the hungry tiger, but perhaps it will get me some day or night, and then dream will have become nightmare. Who does the tiger represent? I wonder. Publishers, landlords, employers, the law, or some simple lawlessness. Then there is a five-star hotel room. Dream. Sorry. Then there is a five-star hotel dream. I have been staying in this luxurious five-star hotel for a couple of weeks. It's the Taj Bombay, I think. Someone is supposed to be paying for my stay. But that person fails to turn up, and I don't have the money to pay for the mounting bill. The days pass, and I have been being well looked after. But it's time for me to leave, and at that moment, I'm going to be confronted by the bill that I cannot possibly pay. What will they do to me? Once again, I wake up, just as the bill is about to be presented. No wonder I'm wary of staying in expensive hotels. I have a better chance with that tiger. It's one against one, but that hotel represents the world, smiling but unforgiving, out to get me. Still, not all dreams are threatening or disturbing. Some can be quite pleasant, even funny. The dream I liked, and I made a note of, had me playing football on a frozen lake somewhere in China, and yes. It was football, my favorite game, and not ice hockey. I remember the football bouncing beautifully on that frozen lake, and whenever I gave it a kick, it would light up like a star. And every time it bounced, it gave up sparks. What a lovely dream! I don't think that players, ha- I don't think the players had any opponents. We just kicked the ball around as it lit up the night sky with its starry glow. And then, the ice melted, and I was in a small boat with a fish fishing rod in my hand. Something was pulling on the line. I pulled it in, 
and a beautiful starfish landed in the boat. At last you have caught something, said my companion, whose face I never saw. And there the dream ended. If there are more like that one, I'll take a chance with the tigers and five-star hotels. Telepathy, maybe there is something about it. The other day, I sat down and wrote a stern letter to the publisher who owed me some money. But I did not post the letter, not wishing to spoil our relationship. A day later, I received a check with a note apologizing for the delay. Did the message in my letter get through even though I hadn't be, it hadn't been posted? It often happens that I think of someone I haven't seen for years and have seldom thought of for that matter. And shortly afterwards, that person turns up and gets in touch, almost as though I had got through to them via my thought processes. The other day, I was thinking of Somi. Haven't seen him since he was a boy and I not much older. And the same day in the post, there arrived a long letter from him from the USA with an invitation to his son's wedding. Last week, I felt a strong desire for a nice jam, plum or gooseberry or marmalade. But there wasn't any in the house. Then came a visit from a kind reader, a teacher from Kolkata, who presented me with a jar of plum jam. She said she knew I liked plum jam. How? I don't know. Because it's the first time I have written about jams that I like. Telepathy? Maybe. And suddenly it's summer. The first of May and suddenly it's summer. The potted plants cry out for water and I give them whatever it is in the tap. Most of it goes into the pudina, mint patch. Pudina needs a lot of water and it's a healthy crop of pudina, enough to give us pudina chutney every day until we are sick of it. But I don't get sick of pudina chutney. It goes well with almost anything. I like it best on hot buttered toast. Most of the trees are now in the new leaf, flowering candle, candelabras hanging from the chestnut, chestnut tree. Cicadas sing in the oak trees. Here comes a big fat bumblebee sailing through my open window. I'm a little wary of bees, having been stung a few times. But as Granny used to say, bee venom is good for you. Beekeepers always live to a good age. Happy birthday, beekeepers. Long life to you. I'll stick to ladybirds. Plenty of them this year. And they don't bite or sting. The moths arrive at dusk, attracted by the light in my room. Almost swallowed one yesterday. Must learn to keep my mouth shut. Moths taste like mud in case you don't know. I remember seeing a gazelle, sing gazelle singer swallow a, swallow a moth while he was in the middle of a performance. It affected him very badly. Never again did he sing with the same freedom and abandon, always expecting some winged insect to fly into his mouth and interfere with his vocal cords. In India, there are many people, but even more insects, flies, mosquitoes, ants, bugs of all kinds.
I have seen a famous wicketkeeper drop a catch because a fly was buzzing around in his helmet, and a great batsman being bowled because a red red ant had got into his protective box and bit him in, bitten him at a crucial moment. Matches have been won and lost due to the perverseness of cricket-loving sandflies, and match fixers can do nothing about insects. Wars too have been won and lost because of them. When Alexander invaded India, he did not know what he was letting himself in. Summer arrived and he was stranded in the Sin Desert after being stung by scorpions and attacked by a swarm of mosquitoes. He decided to go no further and made a tactical retreat to cooler climes. So summer is here again. with its millions of insects some benevolent some malevolent sorry some malevolent there is a big fat spider on the wall technically spiders aren't insects having two legs too many and most of them are pretty harmless although the females do tend to murder their husbands at first opportunity it is said that when a spider runs up a wall it's a sign that rain is coming when it runs down a wall an earthquake is in offing in the offing this particular spider is very still and has a contented look about it which probably probably means she has just feasted on her mate love notes after a dry, long dry spell raindrops on a dusty road and after a summer shower raindrops on a sunflower when i was a boy too shy to kiss you i held your hand in the dark of the cinema hall i held your hand right through the picture i didn't want to let it go and i took you to the pictures again simply in order to hold your hand who taught me to kiss it must have been my aya a big fat nanny who looked after me when i was a toddler she used to smother me with kisses she would do this in front of the other domestics and she used to say i could eat him up i could eat him up was she really so fond of me or did she have cannibalistic tendencies it must have been love because she wept bitterly when she went away When I came to live in Masuri I would sometimes take the little path down to the stream of at the bottom of the hill the summer that Sushila came to stay with us I took her down to the stream and we walked some way downstream holding hands to help each other over the rough rocks and slippery boulders we discovered a small cavern with little jets of water cast cascading down from above there was an opening at the top and a shaft of sunlight came through mingling with the spray of water and creating a tiny rainbow yes a rainbow a miniature rainbow we had never seen anything like that later on our way back we collected ferns the shady places around masuri harbor a variety of ferns and we soon had more than we could handle so we made a bed of ferns and lay down upon them 
and talked and touched each other and made promises which we wouldn't keep. And we walked home like children, still excited about the little rainbow we had seen that day. When I was a young man in England and my stories kept coming back to me with rejection slips attached to them, my kind Jewish landlady told me not to be discouraged. You have a determined chin, she said. You will have your way someday. Come to think of it, I don't have a determined chin. It's a very ordinary chin and chins have nothing to do with it. Any more than ears or lips or noses. Can you have determined ears and an intellectual throat, an argumentative nose, thoughtful knees? I like the idea of thoughtful knees though. Meditative toes maybe? No, it's not in our chins or toes or even in our stars. Dear Brutus, but in our minds. That invisible thing called will. The will to be different, to do something special, to create something new, to go where no one has been before. And in the case of my writing, it's all about letting my words ring true. To write with sincerity, simplicity, grace and clarity. To be true to myself, for only then can I be true to others. The lines from Shakespeare that my father copied into my school notebook are still with me. This above all to thine own self be true and it must follow as a night the day. Thou canst not then be false to any man. It's over 60 years since I wrote my first stories, essays, poems. If I am writing in much the vein today, it is because I have always written straight from my heart. But the heart is the mind and the mind is invisible. Much love, Ruskin Born. End of the book. Thank you very much for listening my dear readers. God bless.